0: Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn.
1: And I'm Eric Skelly.
0: And this week, we're talking about Puccini's Madame a Butterfly, Eric, which debuted at La Scala in Milan in 1904 and uh, was based on the play by David Belasco.
1: Yes, which Puccini, you know, was a very big fan of Belasco and also did his Girl of the Golden West a little later on in his career. But this is certainly one of his greatest hits, although... (laughs) <laughs> you could almost point to a half a dozen of his operas and, and say that. This is the composer of *Bohem* and Tosca and Turandot and Manon Lesco, an amazing musical dramatist. Madame Butterfly
0: is set in Nagasaki, Japan, right around the turn of the uh, 20th century. And it concerns Chocho-san, who is known as Butterfly, because in Japanese, Chocho Sounds like or means
1: butterfly. Who is she? Well, she's fifteen years old. She's a a young, very impressionable girl who uh, has caught the eye of an American naval lieutenant, Lieutenant B. F. Pinkerton. She's from a a family that was had become impoverished.
0: Her father had committed ritual suicide on the uh, the word of the emperor. Yes. He committed harikiri and at that point butterfly had to go out to earn some money so she became a geisha which was perfectly respectable profession so here we are 15 years old and she is a geisha as you said she's caught the eye of pinkerton and he has arranged with goro the marriage broker to wed butterfly but this sort of Japanese marriage. Yes,
1: we'll put air quotes around the word marriage, marriage right. because Pinkerton doesn't take it seriously. It's a Japanese marriage. So to him it doesn't count. And he, also it's very easy to get out of. Which is the whole endgame for him. He he just wants you know, a nice wedding night. That's really all he's in it for. So when Act
0: One opens, Pinkerton is... He's at the house with Goro. Goro has has secured this house for them to live in that overlooks the harbor. Yeah,
1: And he's inspecting the house and and sort of uh, meeting some of the servants, uh, awaiting for the arrival of Chocho-san for the wedding itself. Before she arrives, though,
0: Sharpless arrives. He is the American consul in Nagasaki. Right. And Pinkerton knows him. They're friends. But Sharpless is concerned by... Pinkerton's attitude toward this wedding with Chocho San.
1: Pinkerton is how how do we put it? He is the stereotypical, ugly American. He cares little for the people of Japan where where he's been stationed. He cares not at all for their customs, for their culture. You know, he really just kind of regards Chocho San as somebody he can kind of use and discard, frankly. And Sharpless is very concerned about this because this is somebody who does care about the people that he, he's living and working among. Um, and he recognizes the train wreck <laughs> that's about to happen. And in fact, he even warns Pinkerton, but hang on a minute, this girl
0: might have stronger feelings for you. Yeah.
1: So yeah, yeah. what are you
0: going to do? Right. And Pinkerton actually talks about one day taking a, a real wife, an American wife. Right. Right. What is interesting is that throughout the opera, there is a sort of uh, almost an anti-American streak. Because Pinkerton's—he's B.F. Pinkerton, B.F. standing for Benjamin Benjamin Franklin. Franklin. And his ship is the Abraham Lincoln. Exactly. And in fact, in here, in Act 1, as Pinkerton and uh, Sharpless are
1: talking— And they're toasting. They're toasting America. And you hear the Star Spangled Banner pop up in the the score of the opera in an ironic context. It's not outright mocking, but it's not... (laughs) It's not... uh, It's a comment on Pinkerton. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Cho san and her family arrive for the wedding.
1: And it has to be said that it's a big operatic arrival. You know, it's the. This is the star soprano. This whole opera hinges upon casting the soprano. She is it. I mean, there are important roles uh, other than her, but she is. Once she's on stage, she's almost on stage almost the entire time. And everything. It's all about her, and so consequently, Puccini doesn't fail to give her a big arrival moment. And you hear. Her and her attendants, uh, as they wend their way slowly up the mountain in, in a procession, and you hear her voice soaring on top of the chorus of women until she finally arrives uh, at the house on the top of the hill. And she's a
0: very beguiling character, isn't she? Yes. She's one of those characters, much like Mimi in La Boheme, that
1: you immediately love, that yeah. you immediately are rooting for. right. And Puccini uses lots of detail in his score here, little Japanese elements. It's still very much an Italian at score. And it is interesting to look at the character of Chocho-san. She has a lot of the trappings of a Japanese, a young Japanese woman, you know, at the turn of the twentieth century, outwardly, but inwardly and in the way she expresses herself. She is Italian <laughs> through and through. No, you know, no Japanese woman at the, at the turn of the 20th century would have moments uh, like her two big arias in this score, which are huge outpourings of emotion. That just doesn't happen. But, you know, she's an Italian woman in, in Japanese traps. She's Japanese through the prism of the Italian exactly.
0: culture. Exactly. And it becomes quite clear to Sharpless that – She is going into this marriage with much greater expectations and much greater emotion than Pinkerton. She she, even tells Pinkerton that she has renounced her own Japanese religion and has taken his religion. Yes. That is the symbol of her commitment
1: to this marriage. Right. And Sharpless recognizes that she is going to get hurt and badly. The marriage goes ahead but after the
0: vows have been taken etc there is an interruption the bonds arrives he is uh, a priest and he's one of chocho's sans uncles. uncles she's her uncle. he's her uncle yeah and he has discovered
1: what she has done in renouncing her religion and he therefore leads the assembled guests her family in renouncing her in turn so she's left with no family, all she has now,
0: in essence, is Pinkerton. This rat fink Pinkerton. <laughs> God help her. <laughs> but at the end of Act One, after the relatives have left, there is this gorgeous love duet. Oh, one between of the Pinkerton best Puccini ever wrote. Uh-huh. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. And it's 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 very characteristic of Puccini's love duets in that he establishes a theme, a musical theme. And which the, the two people in the duet then take, they modulate up, you know, quarterly and then higher and higher until they both then join in this big, soaring statement of the theme together. And it's... it's um, Think it's, of Suave Fanchula at the end of Act One of uh, Bohem. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The, you see it in Bohem. you see it in Manon Lescaux, uh you see it in Tosca. I mean, it's, it's Puccini's signature duet style and it's marvelously effective. It's just, uh, you cannot help but be thrilled, providing it's sung well, of course.
0: (laughs) Act two begins. Three years later, Pinkerton has returned to the U.S. on his ship, and for three years, Butterfly has been waiting
1: patiently Faithfully for him to return. Right. He told her that he would return when the robins nest. And she's asking uh, her faithful servant Suzuki, Well, when do the robins nest? <laughs> How long does it take <laughs> these stupid robins to make a bloody mad nest? Um, you know, Suzuki answers her honestly. It's, they've nested quite a few times <laughs> since he's been gone. Because Suzuki has an inkling that he's not going to come back. Suzuki is the realist here. Right. Chocho-san, is, she's too young and she's too idealistic. And she believes in her heart of hearts that he's going to come back for her. And Suzuki knows the truth. Suzuki's not, uh, not blind. In the meantime, Goro has been
0: trying to get Chocho-san to marry to marry a, uh, another Japanese man. Prince Yamadori, uh, a, a man of, of wealth. Wealth, because her resources are almost depleted. Depleted completely, yeah. The money that Pinkerton left for her has almost all gone, and she has no prospects.
1: Right, but she doesn't get it. She she still fervently believes that Pinkerton's coming back for her, and she just completely... Uh, mockingly, actually, you know, rejects Yamadori and rejects anyone who shows interest in her because she believes she is married to Pinkerton and he's coming back. To make matters a little bit more complicated, Eric. Mm, boy, <laughs> here
0: it comes. Yes. <laughs> Nine months after Pinkerton Lee leaves to go back to the U.S., Butterfly gives birth. Oh, boy. Yeah. And she has now this... Two and a half, three-year-old son, yeah, called Dolore, yeah, meaning trouble or sorrow,
1: right? Which and she says that when Pinkerton returns, she'll change his name to something more happy and hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> Sharpless arrives, and he
0: has a letter from Pinkerton, yeah, that Pinkerton has
1: asked him to share with cho San. What does that letter say, Eric? He's not coming back. He is not coming back. He's found someone in America, and he's going to marry her. But he is coming back, but he doesn't want to see her. Well, yes,
0: you're exactly right. So he's gotten married. He has uh, his real wife now, his American wife. Right. And uh, every time Sharpless brings up the letter and tries to talk to Butterfly about it, she won't listen. Mm-mm. She's not buying it. Mm-mm. And in the end, Sharpless gives up because he just can't bring himself
1: to share the awful truth with her. Well, and he he asks her outright, what would you do? What would happen if – what if he didn't come back? What would you do? Mm -hmm. And she says – I'd go back to being a geisha. Or I'd die. Or better, I would die, she says, I believe better I would die and then and that's a, it's, it's at that point and this is the first time in the opera that we have any inkling that there's a, there's a, a kid in the in the picture and she she runs off stage and brings out the little boy and says here <laughs> here look you know <laughs> here's proof that he's coming back he's coming back because he has a son. Oh it's it's you know it's just one of those Puccinian moments that just rips your heart out and stomps on it all over the place. It's, and she wants Sharpless to tell oh, Pinkerton that he has a son.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right at the end of act 2 the uh, cannon goes off in the harbor to announce the arrival of a ship. Yeah. Butterfly looks out and she recognizes the USS Abraham, Abraham Lincoln.
1: Lincoln. It's Pinkerton's ship. He has come back. Right. So she grabs Suzuki and, and her little boy, and they p- make preparations. They, they strew flower petals throughout the house in anticipation of his, his great arrival. And uh, all these cherry blossoms. Yes, flowers, exactly. Exactly. And then they, they poke little holes in the screen of the house so that they can keep an eye on the, on the hill and to see him when he comes up. And they basically sit vigil through the night, watching for him. And this is the the very famous humming chorus. All you hear in the background in the distance uh, is the chorus humming this gorgeous, poignant tune while Chocho-san, Suzuki and and Chocho-san's little boy watch. Eventually, Suzuki and Trouble (laughs) fall asleep.
0: But Butterfly remains bolt upright waiting for Pinkerton. Yeah, she's not going to miss the moment. End of act two. Act three, it's the next morning, and Butterfly is still sitting there. As the sun rises, she's still sitting there waiting for Pinkerton. Right. Suzuki wakes up, and she persuades Butterfly to sleep, and she says, as soon as Pinkerton arrives, I'll I'll wake wake you.
1: you. He does arrive. Yeah. And Suzuki is initially really happy to see him until she sees that he's not alone. He has a woman with him? Yes. Kate, who
0: is now Kate Pinkerton. Yes. This is his real American
1: wife. Yeah, and he's not he has not come to see Butterfly what he's come to do is to convince other people, because he's such a coward. (laughs) He wants other people to convince Butterfly to give the little boy to him and Kate to take back to America and raise as their own. What a guy. (laughs) But of course,
0: Butterfly is upstairs asleep. Exactly. So Pinkerton
1: arrives and does not have to face her. He, he sings a little arioso, Adio Fiorito Azil, in which he basically expresses his own self-loathing, pretty much <laughs> expressing what the entire audience is feeling at that moment. Um, I mean, he says, I'm vile, I'm vile, you know, but, you know, what can I do? Uh. <laughs> but when he
0: arrives and he sees the way that the house has been prepared and decorated, he understands how faithless he has been,
1: that she is still in love with him after three years. Yeah. It finally dawns on him what he's done. And he still leaves it to Sharpless and Tsutsuki to drop the bomb, as it were, and goes off at that point while uh, Chocho-san is heard awakening in the other room and she's, she's calling for Tsutsuki. Where are you? Where are you? She comes out and she stops dead cold. I mean, freezes in her tracks as she looks out of the house and sees Kate Pinkerton out in the garden. And she wants to know who is that woman. And she finally... She figures it out for herself. She realizes what's going on. Her reaction, though,
0: is very Japanese. It's not an Italian reaction. She doesn't blow up. It's contained. It's very contained. Yeah. And she agrees to give up the son... If Pinkerton will come back and collect him himself. himself.
1: So that she can see him, so that there is some interaction. Yeah, which Sharpless, you know, goes off to get him to come back and get the kid. She prepares for this sort of final parting by praying to her ancestral gods. And she takes out an article that we were introduced to in the first act. It's a blade, a ceremonial blade. A ceremonial blade that was her father's, and in it, on or on it rather, is inscribed uh, the words "Con honor muore qui non può vivere per l'onore," which roughly translates to "He who cannot live with honor dies with honor." And it's the blade that her father used to commit harakiri on, on the order, order of the emperor. Things are not looking good. No, at they're this not. Point. They're, they're going south pretty rapidly at this point. Uh, she's actually getting prepared to use the blade on herself. Before she does that, trouble right. Little boy runs in. She gives him an American
0: flag, she blindfolds him, sends him back out. Yeah. And then she disembowels herself. She commits Harry Carey.
1: Pinkerton rushes in. You hear him calling for her and calling for her, and he comes in and he sees her dying. And that's it. <laughs> On that note, that's where the opera ends. You it's know, it's devastating. And it's devastating because you have two big, giant arias for Chocho-san in the course of this opera. I mean, there's lots of amazing music that she sings. But in, in the second act, toward the very beginning, she has the... Very famous. So we haven't talked about, but Unbeldi. Unbeldi vedremo. One beautiful day I'll see him. In which she lays out in great detail her fantasy of what it's going to be like when he finally returns. In her mind, she sees the ship coming into the harbor. She sees him. Coming up the hill, she sees herself kind of playfully hiding because she doesn't know, oh, she's afraid of, you know, how of seeing him at first. And then and then they they're reunited and she ends with this emphatic statement of affirmation. I believe this is going to happen. I believe it. And uh, and it's heartbreaking because you know where this is going, and it's not going to well, happen the, irony the way she
0: is, sees it's happening. The irony is that that's precisely what does happen, up to a point. Up to a
1: point. <laughs> yeah. That's right. He has not come back to collector. No, no. The other big aria that she gets is right at the very end, when trouble runs in and interrupts her committing suicide, and she sings. Um, this I just have heart- a vision. Honey, just step outside. Let me finish committing suicide right first. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. This is Italian opera. That's not how it goes. She sings "tu tu piccolo iddio," uh, my little god. She bears her soul. This is this is the big explosion that you expected would happen when she realizes what Pinkerton was really back for. But she didn't. She 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 subsumed it all. She pulled it all in. And, and, you know, saved face. But now she's saying goodbye to her little boy for the last time. They will never see each other again because she's going to die. And she says to him, look on my face, never forget me, never forget that I loved you. And then blindfolds him and sends him out. And it's, 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 it's a huge, huge aria. A lot of the role requires a soprano of a, of a lyric voice, uh, you know, a very uh, a light touch not so this aria. This requires a, a spinto, a, a, a real dramatic push to the voice that can really soar over what's really a, a quite large orchestra that Puccini scores this with. What is interesting as well, I find, is that once she
0: realizes that she has been mistaken, that she did misjudge Pinkerton, that he was not the great man that she thought, she returns to her culture. yes. She abandons, very subtly, but she abandons what she took on to be with Pinkerton. Right. So she's sort of come full circle. Yes. And there is a sort of, in some respects, there is a a redemption in that. Or at least perhaps to her, maybe a comfort. So it's such a tragic story, Madame a Butterfly, Eric. Yeah. Yeah. Why do people love it so much?
1: Oh my gosh. Uh, well, it all comes down to Puccini, doesn't it? it? It comes down to Puccini's masterful union of music and drama. He was He was a dramatist that worked in a musical idiom. He wasn't just a, a composer that superimposed his music on, you know, trifling little stories. He very carefully selected his subject matters for their dramatic viability on the stage, and then crafted very, very carefully composed, I hate to use the word music drama because that makes you think of Wagner, which he's nothing like, mm-hmm. but that's what they are. They're, but he always they're, saw the dramatic potential. Absolutely. It was all about the dramatic potential. And he was... I I don't want to say he he was a manipulator because but he, but he kind of was I mean he really he really pushes your emotional buttons like no other composer ever ever did, and and that's why it's even even a story that is so sad as this one is uh, it's it does what great art allows you to do it takes a, an overwhelming tragedy and allows you to go into the theater in a safe place. And really feel these emotions, again, in a safe place. And then, you know, you could breathe a sigh of relief and walk out out of the theater, uh, having go, go back to your own life and have a certain sense of schadenfreude. At least, at least my life's not that. But it allows you to feel these overwhelming emotions and, and try them on safely in the, in the safety of a theater. Uh, and Puccini does it like no one else. We've talked about uh, sort of similarities
0: between Madama Butterfly and La Boheme. You have these very feminine, almost weak creatures at the center, Mimi and Chocho San, but they're not. No. They sort of
1: have a core of steel in them. Well, thanks to Verdi, Italian opera has moved away from being all about nobility and kings and queens and gods and goddesses, it's now, uh, Puccini is, is of the Verismos, or at least he's, he's composing at the time that the other Verismo composers do. I, I sort of feel like he should be held apart from the folks like Giordano and, and uh, Leon Cavallo and, and Mascagni, who are the, mm-hmm. the, the, the pillars of the Verismo movement. But Verismo means realism, and it roughly corresponds to the literary movement of realism wherein you're looking at common people, You're looking not at kings and queens and nobility, but very ordinary people. And seeing, uh, in Puccini's case, the extraordinary in these ordinary people. Mimi's very humble. Chocho-san has been, through life circumstances, she's been thrust into a, a very humble existence. But Puccini holds a magnifying glass to these ordinary people and allows you to see the beauty and the charm about them. Before he subjects them to the most god-awful torture (laughs) imaginable.
0: (laughs) Well, Chocho san one of the most beautiful heroines in in all of opera. Absolutely. Giacomo Puccini's Madame a Butterfly. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening.